As we continue looking into the Psalms of Ascent this morning, we're going to take a look at Psalm 127. As a quick reminder of where we've been the past few weeks, we've been investigating these Psalms of Ascent, starting with Psalm 120 and continuing so far through Psalm 126, and in subsequent weeks we'll continue through Psalm 124, 134. Excuse me. And as we've looked at these psalms written by various authors, some unknown, some ascribed to Solomon, others to David, the overarching theme that we've seen is that we are called to lift our eyes and our focus to the Lord, right? Where the idea of psalms of ascent comes from lifting our eyes to the Lord, And this morning, as we look at Psalm 127, we will see that it is the Lord who builds a spiritual house, and the method to which he builds this house is through the adoption of sons and daughters into the family of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. At this time, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Psalm 127. If you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you, either by an electronic copy or your own hard copy, uh, Larry's standing in the back there willing to hand out a copy of God's Word. At this time, as we turn to the Word, I'd I'd encourage us and remind us, right, that this time of investing our energy and time toward Scripture shouldn't be strictly a Sunday morning activity. Right, That this living, enduring word of God should be something that we go to on a daily basis right? to orient our lives and understand who this amazing, wonderful God that we serve is. So let's turn to Psalm 127. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth." Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. As we look to understand this set of verses this morning, we're going to see and focus on two key points. First, that the Lord builds us up as a spiritual house and is in control, which we'll see in verses 1 and 2, and secondly, that the Lord's chosen method for growing his spiritual house is through adoption into the family of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, which we'll see in verses 3 through 5. With that, let's begin to look at these first two verses to see and understand that first point. The Lord builds us up as a spiritual house and is in control. As we look at these verses, we see the descriptions of things which are built outside of the Lord. 
The descriptors or the words that we see are the word vain, which we see three separate times, and anxious toil. As we look at the definition of vain, we can see two explanations. The first explanation or definition of vain is producing no result useless. The second definition being having or showing an excessively high opinion of one's appearance, abilities, or worth. As followers of Jesus ascribing to our low position in relation to God, it can be easy to see how these definitions relate. And that connection between these two definitions of vanity are clearly laid out in these two verses. The second definition, having or showing an excessively high opinion of one's appearance, abilities, or worth, akin to pride, puts us in direct opposition to God, who is the only one whom we should have a high opinion. And connecting itself to the first definition, producing no result or useless, we ascribe that without the sovereign God, the supreme creator, there will be no result in our life. We cannot and will not create anything without God's authority over it. Human control, which requires a high opinion of ourselves, is superficial vanity, resulting in uselessness, no result, which is also vanity. These two understandings of vanity are echoed in the book of Ecclesiastes. Both this psalm and Ecclesiastes are written by King Solomon, and so we can understand this connection and focus towards vanity. As an overarching understanding of the book of Ecclesiastes, it's an apologetic work arguing similarly to this psalm that life is meaningless if toiling in our own shallow efforts of vanity is our end goal and concludes that faith in God is the only avenue, having Solomon himself explored all other meaningless avenues to satisfaction. From Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Solomon here is proclaiming, is maybe in fact apologizing, that in our striving, we work hard for ourselves. We toil. Many people working hard for themselves have come and gone, but the world continues. But he asks the question, what do we gain? 
The result of this toil is temporary, not eternal. The result of this toil is vain. All of it is vanity. It continues in Ecclesiastes to explain the vanity of wisdom. And in chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, it says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. And throughout Ecclesiastes, Solomon explains the vanity of self-indulgence. Wine and gardens and slaves and treasures and sex and of living wisely and of wealth and of honor. But the conclusion for all of these vanities is the same. It's superficial and unfulfilling. We see that unless the Lord builds the spiritual house, it is useless. Now, we see in the last line of verse 2, the opposition to the valueless, superficial results of our own vanity and toils. It says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. But how do we experience sleep? How do we experience this comfort and rest which the Lord provides in the spiritual house in which he builds. To flee vanity, we must seek humility. Without the acknowledgement that we are nothing, worthless and useless without God, we look to put ourselves on the throne of our lives and cast aside Christ as our one true king. Without, without that acknowledgement and low view of self in comparison to the work and person of Jesus Christ, our lives are useless, producing no result. But the joy and the difficulty in pursuing humility is that we can't produce or attempt humility on our own. We are at our core sinners we strive after vanity. We may try for a while on our own to be humble, but eventually we'll, we will fall towards our nature to build ourselves up, right? To rely on our own being, our own pride. To maintain humility, we can only look to the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus, and marvel at what he has done on our behalf, we must accept and embrace the humility with which he has provided. The only way to flee vanity and seek humility is to understand and take holdness of the greatness of God. And naturally, our view of ourselves will be put in the right position as sinful and need of a savior, a view rooted in a desire for an identity 
in the greatness of God. It says in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see that all things outside of the Lord are vain. We see that to flee vanity, we must seek humility through reliance on Jesus. And we can maybe begin to ask ourselves, what then are our anxious toils? What do we honestly find our confidence in outside of Jesus? Is it like the builder in this psalm who has confidence in what he has built around him? Is it like the watchman who has confidence in his ability to diligently watch, providing false comfort to those under their care? Is it our willingness and ability to rise early and stay up late to work harder, as mentioned in this psalm? Or our ability to manage our finances? Or maybe it is our effort and care we take in providing for our families. Take heart, the Lord builds us up as a spiritual house and is in control, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So if we acknowledge that the Lord builds us up as a spiritual house and is in control, we may ask ourselves, how then does he build this house? Which brings us to our second point. The Lord's chosen method for growing his spiritual house is through adoption into the family of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Turning back to verses 3 through 5, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, some of us may be familiar with these set of verses. In fact, some of us may have verse 3 written on a vintage window pane in our dining room, surrounded with pictures of our family. But this throw pillow verse, without the understanding and application and connection of the first two verses in Psalm 127, and our new covenant understanding of new birth in Christ Jesus may not 
reveal the full truth. If we take out these verses on their own and take them for face value, we can find ourselves incorrectly focused solely on discipling our biological children. However, if we understand God's chosen method of salvation through adoption into the family of God, which requires new birth in Christ Jesus, this set of verses has a completely different understanding. At face value, these verses ascribe to the Old Testament understanding of salvation through our heritage or bloodline. Right? Solomon is urging the people of God to increase in numbers, to increase or grow his chosen nation. But our understanding in Christ Jesus has changed. The salvation afforded to the original 12 tribes has been transformed through the life and work of Christ Jesus. Children are no longer born into a specific family. They don't have to rely on their salvation by their bloodline, but are born by putting faith and trust in Christ Jesus. As the family of God, our children are no longer grandfathered in to salvation because of our faith or our bloodline. No, just like you and me and our neighbors and our coworkers, salvation only comes through acceptance and surrender to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by faith through grace. Hearing and responding to the Holy Spirit's call to acknowledge the person and work of Jesus becomes a necessary response for anyone who is adopted into the family of God. The Lord gives us opportunities to be disciples, and through the Great Commission is to, to be disciple-makers. Not just through having more children is his kingdom grown, but by building life-giving relationships and by sharing the good news of the gospel. And it is true that those opportunities of building into another, teaching all that he commands, can and should start in our homes. It is no longer, however, contained there. We have ascribed and heard many times here at Buffalo City Church that the first expression of the local church exists within our homes, with our families. But we are missing the point and incorrectly showing our children what it means to be disciples of Jesus if they are the only ones they see us instructing in the ways of the Lord. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. This is not a reward for us as parents. No, a heritage from the Lord and a reward for the Lord. As parents, we've been given a gift 
The gift of our children, not as sealed promises of the nation of God, no, but as precious souls to steward and guide towards the love and saving grace of Jesus. In this psalm, we see a reference of arrows in the hand of a warrior. Arrows for a warrior are a tool, right? a tool to slay the enemy. Solomon could have just as easily provided children as a hammer in the hand of a carpenter. As a disciple and a disciple maker, our children allow us an easy and natural outlet with whom to share the gospel. The truth that we are sinners in need of a Savior who's been delivered to us in Christ Jesus. Our children are an easy and natural outlet to encourage with Scripture, to humbly bow with in prayer, to point to a reliance and need of Jesus Christ so that we can encourage with Scripture Humbly bow in prayer and point a reliance and need of Jesus Christ to all those around us. When we were having our first child, someone this morning here in our midst encouraged me that children edify us in that we can no longer think solely of ourselves that we quickly learn humility in having to sacrifice our own wants and desires and priorities to meet the needs of our children. And that's true. (laughs) I'm thankful as a father of three young boys that they consistently humble me greatly. (laughs) The things I desired and chased after and strived for are no longer important. I desire to meet their needs and see them flourish. But in addition to producing some level of humility, our children give us an opportunity to walk in and speak towards and encourage our children in a need and reliance for Jesus. It gives us a direct disciple close to our heart, and always close to us in our homes. Our search for someone to instruct and speak the truth of the gospel resides right next to us each and every day in our children. So how does that work itself? How does that work itself out practically? I think there are three things in order of importance that need to be visible in our lives. One, walk the walk of being a disciple of Jesus. If our children and those closest to us don't see that we value time with the Lord and make it a priority, why would they? Our children know and observe our priorities and patterns and mimic and take guidance on how we live our lives. As we know from some of our children's words and phrases, they do it because we do it. In fact, as parents, it can be easy to see see 
as they seem to pick out the worst in us and mimic those things on a consistent basis. Most parents can humorously recall their children's first swear word or the use of the phrase to their sibling, knock it off. That didn't come from their own mind. That came from what they've heard from us, mimicking their earthly father and mother. They are Cardinals fans and Vikings fans because we are. They attempt to shave their bare faces because we do. They attempt to instruct and discipline their siblings because we do. But most importantly, they need to observe that we open our Bibles and spend intentional time with Jesus. They need to observe that we pray with them and our spouses. They need to value and prioritize and see that we are truly gripped by our faith and trust in Jesus. The first step of being a disciple who makes disciples of Jesus Christ is being a disciple yourself. Folks, we have to make it a priority to be disciplined in our time in the Word. We have to make it a priority to give the Lord our best, not just a begrudging two minutes at the end of the day. Because not only does spending time with our, with other, not only does spending time allow us to grow as disciples, it shows our children what it means to be a disciple. We have to make it a priority to spend time with fellow believers and discuss what the Lord is doing in, your, in our lives and praying and encouraging each other. Not only does spending time with other believers allow us to grow as disciples of Jesus, allowing someone to speak the truth of the gospel into our lives when we're bogged down by a short-sighted view of our situation, it non-verbally speaks volumes to those around us, invariably our children, that it's important to spend time with the people of God, to grow in our faith by understanding and, and spending time with others. That growing our faith is inter it's integral in growing our faith to spend time with other people who are growing in their faith. Secondly, from a practical perspective, we need to show our kids that our faith is not, a ju not just about us and our kids. That the Lord calls us not to be inward or self-focused, but to be outward-focused, sharing the love of God with those outside of our family. If our children are to understand that their salvation is not a family heritage, but is an adoption into the family of God, as we've seen in this psalm, they need to see the outworking of Christ's love and support for others outside of our homes. Be present with your children in pouring out to other individuals and families around you, in your local church family, 
towards your neighbors, your coworkers, and friends in need. Folks, if most Sundays are spent at the lake or a hockey tournament or just relaxing at home, we are communicating to our children that being with and sacrificing our own desires and comforts for the people of God are not that important. We have to make being available and serving the fellow children of God visible and active. We have to make praising the name of God in corporate worship and hearing the word preached a priority, visible and active. And as those that acknowledge that we are only saved through the work of the Holy Spirit, we have to trust and pray that he will work in the hearts of our children to understand the saving grace of Jesus by observing us as disciples. Finally, the third practical outworking is as we walk out in following Jesus and proclaiming his name, it will likely come out naturally, but we need to find ways to share the gospel and acknowledge God directly with our children. If any time we discipline or instruct our children, our first inclination is to instruct them about their behavior, I strongly recommend we consider how we can instruct them about their position relative to God and their sinful behavior as an offense toward him. But most importantly, that they cannot and will not be able to behave and rid themselves of sin by behavior modification. Our children, just like you and I, are in need of a Savior to take it to the Lord. We are in need of a Savior who is graceful, loving, and all-sacrificing, which we have in Christ Jesus. We must instruct our children and discipline them with, the, them with this ideal, not ideal behavior in mind. Because they said it better than I can from the book, Give Them Grace, Dazzling Your Kids with the Love of Jesus, Elise Fitzpatrick and Jessica Thompson provide this. We forget everything we know about the deadliness of relying on our own goodness, and we teach them that Christianity is all about their behavior, and whether on any given day God is pleased or displeased with them. All the typical ways we construct to get things done and get others to do our bidding are simply obliterated by a gospel message that tells us that we are all, parents and children, both radically sinful and radically loved. At the deepest level of what we do as parents, we should hear the heartbeat of a loving, grace-giving father who freely adopts rebels and transforms them into loving sons and daughters. Folks, we cannot outsource making our children disciples of Jesus Christ. It's not the job of the local church and youth group or a Christian school or a Sunday school or their grandparents or our friends. No, folks, we as parents have been clearly and definitively called by God to show and share the gospel 
with our children. Now, don't hear me wrong. Youth groups and Sunday school and Christian schools are not bad things. However, they cannot be a substitute for what it looks like to faithfully show your children how to follow Jesus. So we've seen the Lord builds us up as a spiritual house and is in control, and that the Lord's chosen method for growing his spiritual house is through adoption into the family of God through the person and work of Jesus. So then, what is the application of these truths in our lives? One, rest in God's control by setting your work aside and going to sleep. We don't necessarily think of our sleep patterns as a reflection of exhibiting God's sovereignty or our understanding of God's control, but how many times have we gotten up or stayed up later to get things done? I'll be honest, in preparing this morning's, minute, this morning's message, I had quite a few late nights this week. And I had to ask myself, am I resting in the peace of God's control, or am I finding a way to work harder, spend more time, not confident that the Lord will work it out? Folks, we have to trust God, believe in his sovereignty, and receive the rest which he provides to his beloved children. Secondly, we have to make our faith life a priority. Ask God right now to work in your heart to set aside the temporal things and spend time in the spiritual and the eternal. Joyously and uncompromisingly study and spend time in the living, enduring word of God. Consistently and humbly create margin and time for reflection on God's word through prayer and petition. And third, devote yourself to the local church, connecting with and serving your local church family and those that God has placed around you. Allow your children to participate in and witness the sacrificial love which he displays to us by, dis- by sacrificing for other people outside of your traditional blood family, in a real, tangible, and consistent way. Folks, what we have here in our local church is an opportunity to share with our children that the person on your left and right is more important than you are. We have an opportunity to show them that it's not all about us that we can rest in a Savior of Christ Jesus and as an overflow, love those around us. Folks, we have been adopted into the family of God through the person and work of Jesus. He is in control and is calling us to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early 
and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let us pray.